Welcome, one and all, to episode 74 of the Scum and Villainy Podcast, a apparently bi-weekly Star Wars podcast where we break down the latest <laughs> and greatest in Star Wars news. I'm your host, Garrett McDowell, and in my co-pilot seat, it's Noah DeGeorge. It's been so long, man. If it, we had to do this thing bi-weekly every week, every, I, I guess couldn't every contain two myself. Weeks, yeah. I think I'd probably forget, like, who you are. <laughs> like, we'd, we'd jump on the Zoom call and I'd go, it's... Garth, yeah. right? Garth, right? And I've got a big bushy beard uh, and, a, and a big walking stick because I'm coming out of my cave. To, to show that time has <laughs> time passed. Has passed <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we uh, didn't have the pleasure of, um, of talking Star Wars last week. I came down with that fall cold that seems to be going around. Uh, I was telling you just before we were recording now that I was like, I was writing the notes. I watched Andor. Uh, and you know, I, I was at my keyboard and I was, I was writing stuff and I got like three quarters of the way through the notes and I just was like, I can't, I just tapped out. I was like, there's no shot I'm able to record. Cause when I get sick, I don't know about you. I just get super sleepy. I'm just like, I'm no energy. Uh, and then I proceeded to lay on the couch for like two and a half, three days and just watch, uh, scary movies and Halloween movies, but I'm back. I'm rejuvenated. I got my back to tank and I'm ready to talk Star Wars. That's, that's good. I was also, uh, feeling under the weather, uh, just a few days ago, this past Monday, I think oh. I was hit with the same thing yeah. that a lot of people around here are getting, but I'm up and at them. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm so ready to talk about Star Wars today. Absolutely. Uh, not only are we going to be briefly talking about episode four, we're not we're not going to go. Yeah, it's you know, it's not a brief summary. Uh, we're not going to go into every single uh, plot point, but we are going to go with general thoughts, maybe a little bit deeper than that as well. But we are going to be talking about in depth episode five, uh, the axe forgets, which is the episode that just dropped early this morning. Um, so if you want to skip straight to that conversation, you can do so. Uh, the time codes are in the description. So if you're really itching to hear our thoughts about that, no worries, you can go ahead and just fast on forward there. Um, I also did want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, there was some news that happened last week, particularly in regards to James Earl Jones and him retiring officially, uh, uh, not just the role of Darth Vader, but seemingly acting as a whole. Um, and I really want to talk about that. But given that we are going to be talking about two episodes of this show today, um, two give or take about 50 minute long episodes, um, I want to give that topic its full due. I want to give James Earl Jones his full due. Um, there was also some new video game news. Um, a poster for Tales of the Jedi did drop this morning. So we will be discussing um, a lot of the big news that did happen, um, not just uh, this week, but also last week as well. Um, so we can kind of save that until next week, uh, because I, I really do want to uh, focus on that, give it its due, and I don't want to just kind of gloss over it. You know, I think James Earl Jones has, uh, has uh, earned that for sure. Well, he's definitely earned a theater in his own name. So, uh, yeah, Literally he, earned, has, yeah. he, he er, has earned an episode that we can talk about him, uh, for an extended period of time. It's the yes. least we could do James, hey, you know, man, it's the least we could do. Our part. We are doing our part. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so Noah, without further ado, let's go ahead and dive on into episode four of Andor, the eye of Aldani. Uh, this did drop last week. Um, and you and I did not have a time or an opportunity to talk on air, off air or anything. So I do not know your thoughts on last week's episode so what was kind of your big picture takeaway uh big picture takeaway uh i've talked to a few other people about this and um some people that i have talked to have not watched um all of the episodes so far mm -hmm. and um like there were a couple of people that were like oh i only had time to watch episode one or episode one and two and they were like i don't know it's just it's just so slow i don't understand i don't get it mm -hmm. um and episode four is where this kind of hits as a like, 
as a repeatable structure. Um, it's very clear that episode four is teeing up kind of the next chapter uh, of this of this story. And for me, because I you know am I have the foresight to know. I have the I have clarity on on how Tony Gilroy wants to deliver this entire series. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm just so smart like that, I can see <laughs> the, the delivery of episode four being kind of putting, you know, putting the, uh, proverbial golf ball on the tee, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the next episode will be lining up the shot and then the mm-hmm. third episode will be the shot itself. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm here for it. I love it. Uh, I think that it's a really important episode because, it does a lot for what we will come to see eventually. Uh, do I think that it's, you know, out of this world bonkers, crazy changes, everything, not in the slightest. Do I still like it? Yeah. There's a lot of really juicy stuff in here. I mm-hmm. am so glad that we get to talk about Mon Mothma. Finally, really, really awesome stuff there. Um, yeah. and seeing a lot more, hopefully with Cyril, just all around i think that it sets up a lot of really good stuff and i'm glad that we can kind of look at this in a bigger picture and see it as like a, okay great what does this episode do for the whole series because i think that that i think that episodes like episode four warrant that question and i think that there's a good enough answer so really good stuff yeah yeah i think i'm kind of in a similar boat as far as um Seeing online this kind of dialogue uh, specifically addressing the pacing of the show, how deliberately slow it is, but also kind of divvying out this three episode arc and being like, okay, well, here's the first chapter of that. And here's the middle chapter. And then here's the third chapter. And I think for me, and this kind of lumps in my thoughts on episode five as well, is I really like what this show is doing with character. Um, Obviously, lots of dialogue in the show as opposed to mostly action telling the story so that there is a lot of opportunity to dive into character, get character perspective, offer commentary on the larger themes at play here. Uh, and, and really what is, what's, you know, this battle for these characters souls and their, their, their minds and their spirit. And what does that kind of spirit of rebellion mean in this time? However, I do think that, and it's not necessarily like an Andor specific thing. I just think it's kind of, it's on both sides. Um, I think my frustration with the audience is as a result of we live in a time to where streaming services, particularly so with Netflix, they seem to be kind of the ones that really do this as opposed to Amazon Prime or especially Disney Plus. But with Netflix specifically, you get something like Stranger Things or Narcos or Ozark or something like that. And when you have, you know, okay, we have zero episodes, we have 13 episodes, here you go. You know, like it's given all at one time. You have this binge mentality to where you're able to go into those shows and episodes like this, not necessarily for me, but for a lot of people, to where it is a smaller chapter in even uh, within an even smaller chapter being these kind of three episode arcs within a, a bigger you know, chapter being season one. So when you have these little chunks of the story, I think it breeds a lot of impatience with audience because we have kind of been trained to just press play, watch the next episode, see what's going to happen. However, on the flip side of that, I am also 
it's not my favorite thing and it's not even a Disney Plus thing because I don't think Disney Plus is in, in Star Wars is the in you know, I would sit and throw Marvel in there as well, are not the only uh, people that I think are kind of at fault with this in that a lot of these shows are not seen as TV shows. They're seen as like 13 hour movies or 10 hour movies where I just don't agree with that perspective of television. Um, I think that television is television. Like it's not a movie. Movies have a, a three act structure, a beginning, middle and end, as does television. But within that, there are smaller three act structures within each episode and a beginning, middle and end in each episode. And so where I think that you split apart, if you were to actually split apart part a 12 hour movie into 45 minute 30 minute increments or whatever it's not going to be the most interesting thing especially those chapters kind of towards the middle not to say that the show is not interesting i do really like this show and i think it is very character driven and deals a lot with kind of the soul of star wars i just wish that each episode was a little bit more not self-contained i obviously want that connectivity uh connected uh, series here i'm fine with all of that and i'm even fine with a slower pace however i just wish that each episode did kind of have its own structure of a beginning middle and end because i don't necessarily feel that super concretely um there are kind of similar you know kind of uh structure within especially this fourth episode here to where it's like okay we're meeting the crew we're getting the plan all together okay and at the end of the episode of end of episode four the plan is like finally kicking off and we're you know we're finally getting that journey here but i think especially with some of the b plot stuff like with mon mothma um or L lieutenant karn I don't necessarily feel like i'm getting that with them and take a, a great show like breaking bad or something like that admittedly one of the greatest television shows of all time <laughs> and changed tv you know i'm you not saying not heard of it yeah i'm not saying yeah <laughs> yeah i i kind of hate when people do that it's like well it's not as good as breaking bad it's like oh you mean the thing that like changed tv for the next 20 years cool i'm not saying that this show needs to be as good as breaking bad i'm just using it as as, as an example to where like each episode is super emotional and feels just you know you feel super satiated after you watched it and i think with these episodes i'm kind of just itching to watch the next one not necessarily like in a ooh, i can't wait to happen what uh, see what happens next week but more in like uh i feel like i only got a poor a you know a kind of a bit of the story one and i want and i want a little as bit it were. I, yeah. as it were yes and i want a little bit more of it and that's not just me being impatient and uh, being blind to the fact that this is a tv series i just think it's just my own personal kind of opinion of what tv is nowadays i like what i'm getting i think what we're getting is good however i just think it's more meant to be experienced if you are to use that movie analogy in, in one sitting, you know, maybe with an intermission, like Gone with the Wind style, but still uh, all in one sitting. How do you feel about that? No, I, I completely <clears throat> agree with you. I think that's the thing that's kind of tying me over is that I really like it. Um, if mm -hmm. I was like, if I was lukewarm on this and I was like, come on, man, this is, you know, yeah. this is kind of bull, then that would definitely color my opinion a lot more. Um but yes, I completely agree with you, and I feel it the most. It's funny because I feel it the most on episode one, two, and four, and five. Yeah. Um, where I I think every, like all four of those episodes, so not episode three, but all four of those episodes, there's been a point where I've like checked the time code to see how much of the episode I have left, or 
either that or the episode will just end and I'm not expecting it to end. Yeah. Um, and che- and I, I see what you're saying as far as checking the time code, not as like, okay, this better wrap up, but of like, okay, we've only got 10 minutes left. So we're probably not going to get to the heist. You know, we're probably exactly. going to have to wait a little bit for exactly. that. I totally understand what you're I, saying. I, at the end of, at the end of the episode today, actually episode five, I know we're not talking about episode five, but yeah. at the end of today's episode, I checked the time code and and I was like, wait, six minutes left. There's yeah. like five and a half minutes for credits. Oh <laughs> yeah. crap. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that sort of thing, I completely agree with you. I think that it's something that I will get over it. Um, because I do like I'd like everything so far. Um, but I remember at least with uh with some of the more recent Marvel shows, I kind of just waited until it was all out so that I could watch it all at once. Um, And I had a more enjoyable experience doing it that way because I could kind of pick and choose the things that I didn't like. I didn't have to... Yeah, or the stuff that you didn't like, it's not that big of a deal because you got a new episode and you can... Yeah, you don't have to like gestate on this one episode for a week. Exactly. And I think that the strength of some of the series here is the fact that they are written with a larger story in mind. You know, I think of something like you probably haven't seen this and listener, I'm, you know, I'd be surprised if anybody has, but, uh, the IMDB, IMDB plus is it, or IMDB TV? Uh, I think it's IMDB TV, Alex Mm -hmm. Ryder show. Um, I was a huge fan of the Alex Ryder books and they recently, uh, put out season one and season two of an Alex Ryder show. And to me, that's like a good example of classic TV where you can take a 45 minute episode and digest it all in one. And at the end of it, kind of like with Breaking Bad as well, you can kind of look at it and be like, okay, do I have the strength to watch another episode and go through all of that again? Or, you know, can I be full and just be ready for the next one? Yeah. Um, So, yes, I would say, you know, trained is a good word to, to say that you know, that we kind of just get in this binge mentality, but I think spoiled is an even better word, you know, (laughs) honestly. So it's difficult because if I suggest this to somebody who's not, you know, not a hundred percent keen on star Wars, I'll probably tell them to wait until it's all out and then go and watch it and see how they feel, because that's going to make people feel a lot better. I think. Yeah. And I think, uh, on the other side of it, I remember when Mando season one came out and a lot of people were complaining that it was more episodic in regards to like there wasn't there was a larger story as far as Mando has Grogu and they're going on an adventure and trying to kind of figure that out. But it was like, OK, this episode is the one where it's Frog Lady and the Ice Monsters. OK, this episode is where the jaw was. OK, this episode, you know, them kind of it was more of like a comic book. You pick up an issue and be like, oh, this is the one where whatever. Where with this, I think it is so serialized to the fact that I just don't know if each episode is able to stand on its own, which I don't I don't mean in regards to like continuity. If you go into if we're just going to continue to use Breaking Bad as an example, I don't expect somebody to jump in who's never seen the show, watch season four, episode eight and be like, I know what's going on. That's not what I'm talking <laughs> about. I mean, more of as if you've not if you have seen Breaking Bad, you can I would argue that you could probably hop into any of the episodes completely out of context and it would totally work uh, on its own and feel satisfying and feel totally enjoyable. And I just don't know if I'm at the point right now to where I say that I feel like I am satiated. I don't feel like we're being divvied out the story in a way that personally, I I guess that's a better way to say it, is it's just not my preference with TV. Like I kind of feel like I've been 
enjoying this delicious slice of pizza and I'm like two bites in and they go, okay, you're done for now. And I'm like, wait, I was enjoying, I was enjoying the pizza. You have to wait yes. one more week for another bite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yes, it's a part of an entire pie and I like the pizza and I'm enjoying the slice, but it feels like the way it's divvied up is just, again, it's just not my preference, but I, I want to emphasize, I'm really liking what we're seeing. I think that once this is all said and done and I'm able to enjoy it, even in these three episode chunks, not even, you know, this entire, I'm not going to binge 13 episodes of TV, but even in these three episode chunks, I, I, and I don't even know if that's a crazy thought. Cause I remember when the first three episodes came out, people were like, you know what? I don't know if this would have worked episode to episode. I don't know if this would have worked if we just released, okay. And or season one, here's episode one. Enjoy. You know, like I don't, know if it would have played as well however when it you know debuted and the first three episodes were revealed people were really really happy on it because I think that it has a clear beginning middle and end and I want to add with a climax um, and I think that that's kind of what I want to transition and talking about because neither of these episodes have been super action heavy and before I, I give my thoughts I just wanted to ask you given that this is Star Wars an action adventure serial series uh, and inspired by Flash Gordon kind of whiz bang adventure has that been an issue for you to where you're watching this and you're kind of like can somebody shoot a blaster you know is that is that a concern with you or are you fine with the slower pace and the dialogue and the conversations like wh where's your head at in that I, I think I think I'm good with where things are at, mostly because I like the I, I really like the tension between um, between Cassian or Clem uh, and the rest of the crew that he's with. I think that tension is very it's a very interesting perspective that we haven't gotten before. Um, so the the lesser action of it all, um, I can hold that off for when I know that things are about to get crazy, which I'm sure that they will. Um because the I, I think that the character tension is really palpable, um, you know, kind of like what I was saying with the different perspective than we've seen before is a new era of the rebellion that feels really, you know, kind of dirty and not fully put together and not trusting anyone at all. That's something that I find very interesting. So, you know, having these character relationships kind of in place of any of the, you know, eye-catching interesting action be the the dialogue and the relationships i think that the show is really 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 well written um and it, like definitely has that going in its favor also i w actively want to know what's happening with certain characters that we don't get a whole lot of so i'm fully engaged when mon mothma is on screen and i'm fully engaged when luthan is on screen and you know that sort of takes that place for me um so I'm happy just sitting, you know, watching this with my with my Taco Bell dinner uh, and just, you know, trying to catch every part of it through munching on a chalupa. Yeah, I think for me, it's this. I think we've talked a lot about how Star Wars is able to offer these different tones and they don't all have to be the same thing or but they have a similar DNA. I love that the show has been able to capture a completely different tone than something like another Star Wars television show which is happening at the same time in the timeline like Star Wars Rebels. You put these two things next to each other completely like uh, could, couldn't be further from each other. You know, like the the fact that Zeb and Chopper are on the other side of the galaxy getting into hijinks at the same time is this is, is like that's almost funny, you know. The puffer pigs. The exactly. Puffer pigs. Happening at the same time that this show is, which is ridiculous. But I do love that 
something like The Last Jedi as well is able to offer a different flavor of Star Wars. Is it my preferred flavor and a flavor that I want the rest of Star Wars to be? Not necessarily, because I love when Star Wars gets weird and I love where Star Wars gets pulpy. However, it is a nice kind of detour or uh, an exploration of something that does feel really different. It still has that DNA of Star Wars like I've talked about, but it, it, it feels distinct and it feels singular in a way that is satisfying and it, and it is enjoyable to kind of explore that um, and like anything like Batman or something like that yeah I can enjoy the Dark Knight Re uh, Returns but do I need need every single story to be like that no I can enjoy Lego Batman you know and for for completely different reasons and I think that that's one of the great things about Star Wars is how malleable it is and you're able to have a story like this and then a story like Star Wars, Star Wars Resistance or something but it's it's all Star Wars it's all great. don't gravy. you dare speak that name <laughs> don't you dare Kazuda. I'll do no. it. I'll do it again. Yeah, no. But, Miku, um, no. <laughs> uh, I do want to go ahead and dive on into episode four. Like I said, we're not going to be, um, you know, talking about everything here, but uh, I do want to kind of talk about some of the big picture ideas and things that do happen. Um, so the episode starts off with Cassian in uh, Luthen. They're on his ship uh, to where Luthen and Cassian have a conversation to where Luthen has to literally bribe. Cassian to get involved with this. Cassian's kind of at a point to where he's like, hey man, thanks for the quick getaway uh, and getting me out of that dangerous situation. But like Han Solo, um, somebody who also uh, served on Mimbin, like uh, like Cassian did, that he reveals, he is pretty eager to to flee when he can, uh, when, uh, when he has the opportunity to. But the thing that makes him stay is this promise of money. Um, you know, not these delusions of grandeur, as Han would put it, uh, but uh, getting his credits where credit is due. Um, so, uh, Noah, do you think that this parallel between Cassian and Han uh, is is unbeknownst to the creators, or do you think this was kind of an intentional uh, sort of parallel here? Uh, I think it's definitely intentional. Um, something for me, though, is that as the story kind of goes along, um, and, and what we've seen so far up to this point, I am liking a lot more that Cassian still has, you know, he has more than just money as a reason to accept. Um, there, there's, you know, clearly a history there that he brings up quite a lot, and so does Luthen. Um, so that, to me, is... I think that that's important because, frankly, I do easily get tired of the, you know, the reluctant hero uh, archetype. I think that mm -hmm. that's very tired for me, and... um you know, Star Wars is is great at kind of replaying these archetypes in, in new and refreshing ways, um, sometimes not so new and refreshing, sometimes kind of the same thing. Um, but I do feel that Cassian is kind of a different version of the reluctant hero where he's not constantly refusing and not constantly battling the call to adventure, so to speak. Um but, you know, there obviously there are things, whether it be money or whether it be personal uh you know convictions uh that lead him to make the choices that he does so i think that you know the i i think that the parallel is obvious um but it's sort of tweaked a little bit uh han solo does you know he, he comes back out of sort of the goodness of his heart right i'm sure that uh you know in an alternate story somewhere we get a, a shot of chewbacca probably talking him into it and guilting him into coming back which that's just my head canon. 
Um, but for Cassian, there is still something connected there. There's just more of an incentive to risk it, right? There's, there's, there's a want there and there has been a want there. Um, but then there's monetary incentive to make that risk. Um, so I think that that's really interesting. And the one thing here, I would really love to know, like, what's the value of 200,000 credits? Like, is this a one-to-one comparison, you know? I don't know how much value a credit holds because it's like, I'll give you this many credits for this. And I'm like, okay, but you know, how much is that in like dollars? (laughs) You know, I, I always wonder about that because you get all these stories that are like, I'll do it for 50,000. They're like, Whoa, 50,000. I'll do it for 50 million. They're like (laughs) 50 million. Like what? Yeah. What what does it mean? It's like when you hear like, you know, that, that, like, uh, like in Europe, they're like, that costs 800 pounds or like, you know, it's like China. It's like, that costs 2000 yen. And you're like, what? And they're like, it's not that that much. Yeah. It's like, well, what's the, yeah. What's the conversion there? But yeah, I mean, the, the thing that I usually keep in mind is like, okay, in a new hope, uh, Han asked Luke and Obi-Wan for 10,000 and then Obi-Wan offered, uh, 17. Uh, and that was like a big deal. And Han was like, dude, that could buy me a lot of time with Jabba. So like, I would imagine, you know, it's it, maybe he's not going to be able to buy you a new ship or anything, at least not like a really nice one, but I, I definitely think it's enough money to, to clear some debts. So 200,000 is, is gotta be quite a lot, especially the fact that Cassian at the drop of a, a drop of a credit is able to be like, sounds good. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm doing yeah, a heist. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to talk about, um, uh, this this idea of the reluctant hero in Star Wars and, and the fact that Rey is a reluctant hero, Luke is a reluctant hero, Han is a reluctant hero, and now Cassian is a reluctant hero, Jin also a reluctant hero. That might be easy for somebody to be like, Ugh, Star Wars just keeps banging that drum. No, dude, that's like storytelling, you know, like <laughs> yeah. look at this, it's the hero's journey. Like that's like one of the steps, you know, so they're, they're kind of following the map here. Not to say that the story is formulaic, but these stories are based in myth and they're, they're, you know, predating long before even filmmaking was, a, was a genre here. So, um, this is something that, uh, is not a surprise. Uh, it's something that I think is nice that we get to see this parallel, uh, between him and Han, uh, and something that we also see with Jen too. Uh, I think especially that relationship between uh, Cassian and Jin that we will no doubt see um, explored more in this series is how it relates to their uh, to their dynamic there. But I love that Cassian is able to speak truth to power a little bit in that he also had come from this place, this idea of, well, it's not so bad if you look down. Uh, and I think that we're also seeing Cassian come from a point of lies and deceit. Uh, and he's constantly, constantly uh, manipulating the people around him, maybe not for, for evil or, you know, malintent, but just for his own kind of self-interest. And I love that. And we'll get into it at the end of kind of episode five, he kind of lets the barriers down for a little bit uh, and allows himself to be a little bit more uh, vulnerable and to kind of trust others. I think episode five especially has a lot to do um, with trust. And I think that that's something that we also saw um, with Obi-Wan Kenobi. So yeah, I think that you could point to most characters, Anakin, you know, when he's a kid and be like, oh, they're another reluctant hero, Din Djarin too. It's like, oh man, 
It's like you're noticing a pattern here. <laughs> this Joseph guy probably had something to say about that. So yeah, I don't think it's unintentional. Um, I think that is uh, pretty on the nose there. So uh, back in Coruscant, Noah, we finally get reunited with Coruscant. Uh, not not too long of a wait. Uh, we did get to go there briefly uh, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it's great to be there uh, and spend a lot of time there. Uh, we get to see the Imperial Security Bureau, something that has been uh, written about a lot, comic books, uh, novels, uh, and some other material there. So it's really great to uh, see where the office is, where they have their meetings. You know, uh, I loved all of that. And we get to really spend time with the ISB and how they view their job. Uh, and they describe that they are, uh, quote unquote, healthcare providers treating the sick and making sure that germs don't spread, uh, germs being the Rebel Alliance, stuff like that. Uh, and they catch wind of what happened with Cassian and decide to play damage control and uh, clear up uh, this mess that he has caused. Um, so now that we get to spend some time uh, with uh, the ISB and uh, Partagaz and the rest of these guys and these old crusty white men, uh, what did you think of the ISB? Uh, it's it's one of those things that like you see this and you're like, whoa, okay, this is this is interesting. This is like a new shade of the empire that we haven't, you know, haven't fully dived into yet. Uh, and then on the other side of it, you get like people walking down a hallway and they're like, could you give me those, uh, the monthly quota on those reports? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, yeah, I'll have you by the next staff meeting. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one of those things that like, it makes me think of the, uh, the family guy, star Wars special where it's just so ridiculous that like, yeah, you kind of have to write this stuff in. And I, you know, I was thinking about it. Uh, Tony Gilroy is like, the perfect guy to to write some of this in because this really is if you take off the galaxy far far away skin on this this is the kind of stuff that he's great at like this is the exact right story for him so and i, I was trying to tell a couple people about this show and and explain it a little bit and i was like you just gotta you got to go into this knowing that you're not fully going to understand. We talked about this a little bit last time we, we spoke about episodes one through three, but you got to go into this knowing that you're not going to fully understand the jargon, but the jargon's not the point. It's kind of the, the way that these characters are handling certain situations and the way that they interact with each other. You can kind of glean most of what is being talked about. I don't know what, you know, that, that navigator cube, hyperspace whatever that you know whatever that thing was yeah i don't know what that does i don't know i, I don't even know the the you know full name of it but i know <laughs> that it's like an important piece of equipment that was stolen and these guys are like oh crap this kind of slipped under our nose now one of them's trying to figure it out they're trying you know trying to go around people's backs and do all these operations and yeah i get it you know i'm there i'm there for it so i'm just kind of seeing this as like God, this is cool spy stuff. This is cool government stuff. Except imagine if the government was horrible and evil. So, you know. Imagine. I can't just even. Imagine. Yeah. Just imagine. Just <laughs> imagine. Stretch your mind, if you will, that the government was horrible <laughs> and evil. Um, no, I really love that, especially as a, a big Star Wars fan. You can have something like you know, uh, uh, watching Star Wars Rebels and the world between worlds and all of these mythical romantic ideas we've talked about with the Mandalorian, the, these, you know, King Arthurian sort of legend and, 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 you know, 
mythosaurs and all this crazy stuff. And this one, again, they're having like staff meetings and like weekly reports. And I love that. I love that relationship between like the romantic and the mythic and just the completely practically like subterranean down to earth, you know, <laughs> yeah. like it's just so the mundanity of it all is something that I really loved. Uh, I loved it back when we were um, experiencing like the citizens of the galaxy in their jobs. And here's a wall where they hang their, hang their gloves and they clock out of work, you know, and what do they do when they go home? Oh, here's their kitchen and they're sipping on coffee. You know, it, it, it's really something that uh, I think has, has, you know, been such a joy to experience as we get more and more star Wars stories telling and it's something that like i think fans are clamoring for especially when i like kind of take my mind back to like a pre-prequel era where people were like what's public transportation like in star wars do they have a bus you know like stuff like that or like what's what's like the banking like what kind of you know what kind of uh, uh forms of currency do they have how does that all work you know like it's easy to watch the original trilogy or even the prequels and and think of how uh, action-packed and everything there are but in the phantom menace especially it's about trade routes yeah, and like and then super george, yeah george went here's a, a trading operation where there's an embargo and uh exactly they just can't yeah. get past this deal <laughs> exactly <laughs> Like I love that Star Wars is able to um, explore both of those things. And um, I think uh, a lot of this is, is, you know, not just great and like Wikipedia entry kind of thing, but I think it's also really human that we get to see the inner workings of the lowest levels of the empire. And, you know, we, we saw that it really permeates to even Tarkin, you know, and, and what, what's, what's going on in, in Rogue One, uh, and also with the Inquisitors, with what we saw in Obi-Wan Kenobi of how there is this just utter rotten selfishness that they don't care about their peers and they're willing to undercut anybody as long as it benefits them. Um, and I love that that, you know, uh, even is in local police, you know, and I, I think it really, uh, permeates and we, we see a lot of the, the kind of rottenness, um, of this system. Uh, and then also the, the infighting and everything of the ISB, that's something that we see a lot, um, in episode four, uh, which I thought was uh, really great. Yeah. I, I, I kind of am loving this pattern of, you know, who, who do these people answer to when everyone's kind of seeking power? And it even goes as far as the corpos, which just, I mean, you got to love it because it's not just nameless, faceless, you know, these are the bad guys and they just act like robots, you know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot more heart or, you know, kind of, I don't know what the opposite of heart is without being heartless. Sure. You know, it's like not, not good, but you know, um, bad. That, How about yeah, that? Bad. That's what it is. <laughs> it's, it's bad heart. Uh, yeah. you know, they, they, these characters have that kind of, you know, fleshed outness to them. And yeah. just in this episode alone, you get like, you get a feel for, um, I don't know what her rank is, but Grandy, um, I am blanking on what her rank is, but kind of the, the relationship there between her and her superior. And there's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of, uh, sexism maybe going on in the empire. With, uh, Miro? Are you talking about Deidre Miro? Is that who it is? The blonde lady? Yes. Yeah. Miro. Oh, Grandy is the, is the other guy. He's the guy. Yes. 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 Uh, so Grandy and then Miro and uh, there's and their supervisor. His name um, is Blevin. What are you looking at? What who's who's Grandy? What is? I that? don't know who Grandy is. Grandy is somebody. Grandy. I'll I'll yeah. look while you're looking. Who's Grandy? I don't. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. Maybe I miswrote it. <laughs> Maybe hey man, you misheard. I've, 
I've got closed captions on, so I'm just writing down names fast. Supervisor Grandy is uh, played by Lucy Russell. Uh, she is in. She is in this series, but I don't remember who she is. I think she works in the ISB, but uh, not the not the. She is a blonde white woman, but not the blonde white woman that you're thinking about. You're thinking ah, of a different blonde of white course. woman, Noah. Yes. How could I? How could I be so? How could I be so so blind? Uh, anyways, the whole point is, uh, yes. There's like, man. Lots of themes. Okay, yeah. I don't know why I wrote down this lady's name. She's like you're, in you're none thinking, of this. You're thinking of Deidre Miro, played, yeah. uh, played by Denise Goff. Yes. I don't know why I wrote down this lady's name. I think it was because she said something about Ryloth and... Uh, like, and write that like, down, write that down. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, names, places, things she I said, recognize. <laughs> they said Scarif, quick, sound exactly. the alarm. Yeah, uh, and, and in this episode, yeah. there's a, a lot of Easter eggs that people were so funny, like, uh, you know, brief uh, detour where there was like Star Killer's costume, uh, as well as like the, I don't know, the, 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 the holocrons were there, the holocrons, and, and then like the, the Harrison Dula esque sort of toy. I don't know what the actual name is. It's not but a toy. It's a family heirloom. I Garrett. know what you're talking about, <laughs> but that, that kind of uh, uh, trinket uh, yes. that has a name. Anyway, uh, the fact that there were fans who were like, oh, I thought you guys were interested in Easter eggs and all that stuff. It's just like, how dumb are you? We like that crap. <laughs> like we, we enjoy it. It's just not the only thing that we like when it shows up, we go, Oh cool. That thing that I recognize anyway, you know, like it's, yes. it's the, the icing on top of the cake. It's not that we're just shoving fistfuls of icing and that's all that we want. But uh, anyway, I digress. Some people really love icing. I don't know. Some people are just there for the icing. Icing you, you know what? You know when somebody comes up and they're like, can I get a corner piece or all the corner pieces taken? They're like, sorry, we cut from the corners. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. And they're like, nah, I don't want any. That's okay. You Dang. know, they, I'm not they a big wanted, cake, yeah, I'm not a big cake guy corner. anyway. You know, I'm not a big cake guy personally. Oh, the point is I was, <laughs> I was making a point. <laughs> that, I get the point. I get you it. You know, that. With uh, the other characters, with with uh, Deidre Miro, uh, not Supervisor Grandy, uh, with Deidre Miro, there is some hints of sexism there in the ISB. Um, I'm sure that this is something that is obviously kind of taken farther within the Empire, but um, you get these little hints of like, hey man, we're gonna we're gonna touch on all the themes, and there's more that I want to talk about later um, with other stuff, but it's just really, really juicy stuff that you just want to chew on for a little bit because you get to see these things and the characters don't address it. That's kind of, that's, I think that that's what keeps Star Wars going in the minds of, you know, the, like kind of the general audience, the, the, you know, casual fans is they're not having these themes directly shoved down their throat in terms of the characters kind of addressing certain things. Um, sure. But they're there. They're definitely there if you're, you know, if you're looking at all into it, you know? Yeah. I think that's kind of been a, a constant theme, uh, that Andor has had a lot of it, uh, a lot throughout it is if, if you're interested in having these, these conversations, you can, you can sit down and you can enjoy the, everything that this has to say about 
things that are within the DNA of all of Star Wars. You and I just mentioned from day one that's, that has a similar DNA with with A New Hope, but um, uh, it's just, just maybe not as much whiz-bang action adventure as uh, maybe some people would prefer, but I think you and I are definitely here for these deeper ideas and these deeper conversations. Um, so we finally get introduced to Vel, uh, who is kind of the leader of this little mini rebel cell that Luthen has connections with, uh, and uh, 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 Luthen introduces uh, Andor, who is now known as Clem, uh, which is, although an unpleasant, uh, unfortunate name, uh, apparently it does have ties uh, to Andor, uh, considering that uh, one of the, uh, the, the men that we saw um, come to his rescue when he was a child. Uh, we didn't really know what his name was. We thought he was kind of like an unnamed person at the time, uh, but apparently his name is Clem. So there seems to be some sort of tie there uh, as far as Cassian kind of wanting to, you know, pay his 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 respects or, or kind of honor this person who had, uh, you know, like an impact on his life. Do you have any uh, any guesses there? No, but I, I was just thinking about this. If somebody like told me like, hey, quick, think of a fake name and that's going to be you for a little bit. Like I'd be the person where somebody else is like, hey, hey, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. And I'm just like, not even paying attention, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like does not ring a bell to me at all because I don't know anybody named Brandon. But if I like picked a name that I was familiar with, like that that would, yeah, that would get my attention. So I thought of that and I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to let that slide. That's just a spy thing is like, Hey, you're this person now and this and this and this, and your social security number is this. And they're like, got it easy. Yeah, on on IMDb, uh, Gary Beadle, uh, who portrayed Clem, uh, is is credited as Clem Andor. So uh, apparently that would be um, where Cassian apparently got that name, maybe like an adopted father kind of situation, um, uh, either married to or uh, or something. I would I doubt sibling, but uh, yeah, I'm going to assume married to uh, uh, Marva, who's portrayed by Fiona Shaw, which is uh, who we saw earlier. So Marva Andor, so who seemingly took Cassian under their wings. So maybe sacrificed himself. Something we'll no doubt see for sure. Possibly hung in the streets, maybe like Ooh. like they say his father was. Maybe that was his adopted father. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, Vel is none too happy that Andor has joined this crew so late uh, into their plan. Uh, and they uh, are kind of threatened to call the whole mission off. But Luthen, uh, you know, says like, well, if you're not going to take them in, this this mission is not going to happen. So uh, she decides kind of reluctantly to allow Clem or Andor to to uh, stay. Uh, Luthen kind of heads off uh, and adopts this new identity, um, puts on a wig. We got like a whole costume uh, change here i saw a lot of memes going around with this when this uh uh, this episode dropped uh where he returns to coruscant as kind of this other sort of bruce wayne-esque sort of kind of uh uh moniker to where he's an art dealer but it's not really uh seems to be kind of who he is as a person Uh, what did you think of this kind of uh public persona sort of wig wearing uh costume that he's wearing Two things. One, I think it's funny that you you say Bruce Wayne because I was kind of thinking like he does like a Joker dance sort of thing in the mirror, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, at, at least like a little mini one. He doesn't do it little. He doesn't dance. He's not like getting jiggy with it. No, he's like doing a little like oh a little how do you do you know right. But kind of you know like Joker in the bathroom like Todd Phillips Joker yeah yes yeah. um anyways um he does kind of a, a that which I think is like this is so this is silly um second yeah. thing. 
how do how do wigs work in Star Wars? Like, are wigs just the same as wigs? You know, because he like puts on a full wig, but then like it's definitely like obviously prosthetized, you know, uh, yeah, for, you know, for shooting, but like his hairline doesn't match his hair from before, you know? Um, it's like very, very different. And he yeah. just kind of like slips it on. I would, I'm just in my head. I'm like, I bet star Wars wigs are like, they like attach to your scalp or something like that. Something crazy. I you assume know. they're they're the same as anything else in Star Wars, like clothes or something like that. I'm sure <laughs> that there are fancy clothes, but then there's also just kind of like a normal, you know, a normal cloth. Because it uh, definitely doesn't look like a toupee. I'll tell you that. I mean, it's pretty convincing. If that's still in Skarsgård's real locks, which I I, I doubt that it is. You no, know, I really um, don't. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say, I was like, congrats, Stellan. You know, he got great, great head Rocking of hair. Rocking it. Rocking which, it. Which haircut do you prefer on Luthen Real? Do you prefer the long or the short? I absolutely prefer the long, like a thousand times over. It looks um, great. I, yeah. I think it's really cool The you know, him looking at himself in the mirror and putting like all of this ornate jewelry and these rings on and everything. I was fully expecting him to be somewhat in a position of power, um, somewhat mimicking like a Sheev Palpatine. Um, but you know, obviously I guess mirrored, not mimicking, but yeah. Um, that, that same duality. When you said mimicking Sheev Palpatine, I'd like to think that he was like doing an impression. Like he was (laughs) just like making fun of him. Yeah. He goes, you know, he's like nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, no more mirroring kind of the, the duality though. And that's another, you know, huge, huge theme throughout the show so far is duality and who's, you know, you're kind of, True identity, real sense of self, which is yeah. which is more of the disguise, which is more of the real you. Uh, it really um, makes you think. <laughs> really does. It's not that hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's it doesn't make you. It, it's not that hard. Well, who's actually think, the real know. Bruce Wayne? Where's the real secret identity? Is it Batman exactly. or is you know? I, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever read Hush? Have you ever read Hush? <laughs> um, no, I love it. I I think it's really cool. And his, I mean. Stellan Skarsgård, what what a performance when he just kind of like switches character. Yeah. I know that that's like a thing that most actors can do is, you know, play Act. more than one character. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, you know, I, I don't know. There's there's moments in there when he's talking in his shop to Mon Mothma and kind of just like you know, right away rotates into deal making mode or into yeah. kind of this covert mode um that's just really really fascinating always love to see stuff like that i think here it's very it's very welcome in this you know kind of you can't be you know you can't be too careful who you're talking to kind of kind of world you know yeah this scene was probably one of my favorites of the series is that you know we get kind of what the promise of this series was where you don't know who you can trust there's somebody who's listening in there's disguises which is like a very like get smart kind of mission impossible kind of thing (laughs) you know um i just love that there is very different movies not the steve carell one i'm at the tv show (laughs) yeah (laughs) you donut no i mean the tv show (laughs) <laughs> Not the Steve I'm thinking Steve Carell and Angelina Jolie and Alan Arkin and no, it's Anne Hathaway. It's not even Angelina Jolie. Oh, it is this Anne guy. Hathaway. This guy, get out of here! No, Sorry, I'm talking about the TV show. Since I was like 
nine years old. I'm talking I about had, both TV <laughs> shows, actually. For a sense of humor. <laughs> I'm talking about the Mission Impossible TV show as well. Oh, uh, to where they're very, like, very uh, uh, disguised, mask, wig, you know, fake mustache kind of nonsense, you know. I love that. Uh, I, I love that it's been implemented here and that when they're just out of earshot uh, and that Luthen has, like, uh, an assistant who's able to kind of, you know, distract the other informant and everything. Like, I, that's great. Like, I love all of that. Um, and we get a lot of like cryptic kind of messaging kind of talking here uh, as well as, yeah, the Easter eggs. I'll take them if they're there. Um, uh, there's uh, some great Indiana Jones Easter eggs as well, as well as some, uh, some great Star Wars deep cuts. So I was a huge fan of this scene. It's probably one of my favorites of the series. Yeah, definitely one of my favorites. I do want to mention the, uh, the absolute Buick of a speeder that Mon Mothma is riding in. <laughs> Uh, the grill on that thing. <laughs> I mean, does the Buick design, of a speeder like is that like a good thing? Yeah, man, absolutely. What do Since you mean? Since Buick's like super, what are you talking about? It's well, Buick in the sense that it's like, oh, that's a that's a Buick, you know. You I look have at no, it and you're that's no like continue. Whole, explain it to me. <laughs> you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about? Like it, you look at it and you're like, now that is like a that's a car, you know. Isn't the whole thing of the the Buick commercials that like people are surprised when you're like, that's a you know that's a Buick, you know? Well, no, okay, okay. Look up look up Buick Super. Look up a Buick Super, okay? Because that's the whole that is the whole idea is that it doesn't look like a typical Buick anymore, and they're like, wait, that's a Buick. But okay, I so you're talking like old Buick. You're you're yes, okay. I see what you're saying. Absolutely. Everybody I, yeah. else knew what I was talking about. Everybody else was with me. <laughs> I thought you were like, look at that Buick Lacrosse that she's driving. <laughs> I'm like, look, look at, at that. that Kia Sonata that she is rocking. Look at that Buick Century that she's got. Yeah, Just like no, an absolute I, beater of a car that I probably had in high school, you know? What I what I mean is this is like one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, master, I couldn't find a speeder that I quite liked. Yes. Uh, that's the one. Like, that's the one that you want. Yeah, right? no Buick LeSabre, I'll tell you that much. That's definitely not. But <laughs> I, I just love when it's like you look at a thing that is, you know, concept art realized. Yeah. And you're yes. like, man, they had a field day with that. They just were like, this is what we want. We want her getting out of a fancy car. Make it Star Wars. And it's yeah. just the perfect blend. It's that and the the speeder that is at the the beginning of Solo, a Star Wars story, which is like this old like hot rod like Chevelle kind of energy. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's called the M sixty eight. It's a really awesome like Lego set as well. And uh, yeah, I I love when I love when Star Wars is cars, you know. And it's just like these <laughs> old kind of hot rod cars, very big and kind of the the George Lucas DNA there. So now that we're we're together with the car metaphors and the, yes. yeah, the the similes, I uh, I can I can track what you're saying. Anyways, just wanted to shout that out because it, that what it's one of those things that like pulls the scene together like you said kind of having all of these like code words and everything i love that the assistant is like oh let me show you this over here really quickly no need to mind what's going on over there that's yeah. like very spy like exactly um, so it, it's you know when when that stuff comes together to kind of make this this convincing narrative of of like a spy world i think it's really really solid so i'm hoping that we do see more of that uh fleshed out as well 
Yeah, and uh, after this, we um, get to spend some more time uh, with Mon Mothma and kind of uh, uh, her her at home life, uh, if we want to call it that. The more the d- domestic side of of Mon Mothma, we are introduced to her husband, who sucks. This guy sucks. He's One of the worst. worst. One the of worst. just the worst. Like complaining nagging just like completely uninterested and and mon mothma's day just kind of says that her kind of social life is boring and everything you know uh and then goes on to say that they were going to have a really great exciting dinner with not only two terrible people one of whom is slymore uh (laughs) which i know got a really big like glup shit response on on twitter um you and i talked about slymore uh, on international women's day we did an episode yeah, where we, we talked did. about like our favorite background weirdo uh female star wars character slymore was uh, firmly at one of the top of my list um and i just love uh that her husband uh perrin is his first name uh describes slymore as like the fucking life of the party uh, yeah. and i just want to notice like <laughs> do she does she do impressions like does she have great stories like i just imagine her just sitting in the corner with yeah, those just eyes just staring. like terrifying you know <laughs> can you pass the salt and she's like christ you know? yeah like please tell me you invited slime more i love when she does that thing where she just absolutely eyes you down as soon as she gets there yeah i, I don't know i think it's well besides the fact that it's like kind of the sleazy husband you know just like man this guy really sucks um yeah but that aside, I was like, are we about to see this? Are we about to see this go down? Uh, which we do not see this go down, um, but would have been great. I don't know if we're going to get uh, an appearance or anything. and kind of hope not because I'd like uh, at least most of my soul to stay intact. Uh, and those those eyes are going to rip out at least half of it uh, if she's on screen. So, yeah, it's probably hard to enjoy like the, you know, the the, the salad where you got the Babadook in the corner just like staring <laughs> at you, you know. <laughs> Uh, definitely some spooky vibes there. So yeah, uh, we do not just to, to spoil episode five. We do not see this dinner, uh, which is a bit of a bummer. You know, I would love to see, a you know, really tense star Wars dinner. Cause we didn't get to see that like an empire strikes back. You know, I want to see what that's like, like, what are they, you know, what are the conversations there? So, uh, maybe yeah, I want to add that to scene. my, uh, to my tense dinner scenes, uh, list in, exactly. in, in media, you've got hereditary, you've got the invitation, <laughs> uh, you've got gosh what else not Just, this apparently so uh, not this unfortunately so uh yeah uh, a, a great uh, uh kind of headcanon of, of what that's all like um uh mon mothma apparently uh boring in comparison but i argue that her uh, husband big d-bag you know just one of the worst this show is just filled top to the bottom of just absolute just the worst men you know yes you know who he reminds me of he reminds me of what's his name is it welton goggles uh, is that his name? Welton Goggles. <laughs> Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, uh Wally Goggs, uh, is, is who you're referring to. His last name is Goggins. <laughs> Goggins. Walton Goggins. That's what it is. Oh, what did man, I say? That's a good one. Uh, I don't, Willie Goggles. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said, I think I said Walter Goggles or no, I said Walton. <laughs> Maybe it's, it's, it is Walton Goggins. Oh man, uh, that's great. He's like that guy. He's that guy in everything. Uh, yeah. except just, you know, give him a newspaper and, you know, put him on a recliner and have him ask for a beer. You know, that's, that's, sure. that's the husband. 
Yeah, he seems like he's got like big social climber vibes to where, you know, he he met Mon Mothma at a cocktail party and uh, he was, you know, found her elegant. But once he he liked the idea of her, he didn't actually like, you know, uh, the the, the soul of the woman, which is unfortunate. So, man, I'm 17 and that's deep. (laughs) Yeah. All I'm saying is he's not in Return of the Jedi. So, you know, who knows? Maybe uh, (laughs) a. Maybe that marriage uh, probably. I don't. I don't see a wedding ring on Mon Mothman Return of the Jedi. So uh, yeah, Kicked to the curb. Kicked Perrin to the curb. Firtha is his name. Uh, dude sucks. No thanks. Thumbs down on Perrin. Thir- uh, Ter- Perrin Firtha. I hope he dies at the end of the show. That'd be great. Wow, that's that is rough. That's harsh. <laughs> hey, it's Star Wars, man. Anything can happen. You can get shot at a bar for looking at somebody wrong. So uh, yeah, true. Perrin, you got it coming. Is what I'm saying. I agree. I definitely agree. Um, so Noah, back at the camp, uh, along with Vel and Clem, we get to meet the other members of this group who are also not super stoked uh, that Cassian has joined their group. And we also get to meet Lieutenant Gorn, um, who is kind of offering as the liaison between the Imperial side of things over at the garrison uh, and the camp. Uh, we also get to learn more of this plan through a uh, miniature model, uh, which is uh, built very kindly by Karis Nimic. Uh, who is such a good boy, uh, one of the best boys of Star Wars. Uh, it sucks that he's absolutely going to die. He's super going to die. Toast. Dude is absolutely toast. Like, uh, that just, it, hurts, it hurts my soul. His first line, uh, his, I think it was... I think it was something like, well, I, I think I trust him or something like that. And I was like, oh, this dude's so dead. <laughs> this yeah, dude is so dead. Yeah, the guy that builds the model that's like not to quite to scale, you know, it's just uh, really, really super unfortunate. He's also like, we find out later, especially in episode five, that he like really believes in this cause and like, you know, uh, uh, believes in the rebellion and the ideologies of the rebellion and like really wants to see justice happen and has like a problem with the empire because of, you know, oppression and all of these like great idea kind of holistic ideologies. Uh, it just sucks that he's he's got to get a blaster bolt to the chest, dude. Like he's done. Cassian's yeah, it's, probably going to hold him in his arms and, you know, it's going to be terrible. Yes, it's going to be like a full like. I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. No, like, no. It's, it's going to be like a whole affair. <laughs> I don't feel so good, Klim. <laughs> <laughs> Guy uh, I knew for three days. Please, uh, <laughs> don't let me go. Yeah, but uh, here at this model, built by our best boy, Karis, uh, Karis Nimic, shout out one time, uh, they are going to be taking these crates of payroll, apparently payroll that is able to uh, facilitate like an entire district, apparently. Uh, they're going to be loading onto an old freighter and then escaping uh, through a runway tuttle. Uh, and the thing that is going to protect them from the uh, inevitable TIE fighters that will be coming to attack them is this uh, kind of natural natural phenomenon that is uh, described as the eye of Aldani, uh, the the, the titular eye, of course, um, is this natural celestial event uh, that is going to be be protecting um, our heroes as they make their quick getaway. Um, A couple of questions here for you, Noah. Um, One, first and foremost, do you have uh, any any thoughts about uh, what their chances are with this? Like, I, I don't know if it's going to be as quick as, and clean as they maybe uh, initially kind of think here, uh, but also this idea of something that Star Wars has commented a lot on of this idea versus the the uh, organic versus the inorganic and the, the nature versus machine kind of thing. Um, uh, any thoughts on either of those fronts? I think, well, you know, first off, it just wouldn't be that fun if it all went to plan, right? 
I mean, you don't you don't love Ocean's Eleven because they get away with it. You love Ocean's Eleven because uh, because the the George Clooney. No, well, yes, you do. Well, I'm more of a Brad Pitt guy, honestly. Not um, anymore. Apparently, the dude sucks, which is oh, hella, really? hella unfortunate. Yeah, look into that. You too, listener. A bunch of really unfortunate stuff about Mr. Pitt came out. Oh, I was no. like, oh, man, we lost oh, another no. one. Okay, yeah. so uh, anyways, <laughs> you, you don't love Ocean's Eleven because they get away with it. You love Ocean's Eleven because the guy that does all the flips and everything gets his arms stuck in that door and he's like about to get blown up or something. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's why you sit through Ocean's Eleven and you love it. Um, One so of the greatest movies of all time. It just is. Um, so that's that's where this is going to go, obviously. Um, and it's going to be great. Uh, because yeah, we get not to for see our heroes. That. It's gonna be gonna be pretty unfortunate. Not for, for our them. heroes. Yeah. Uh, not for Nemec. Uh, unfortunately. Not for God damn it. I know. Um, but uh, kind of you know like what you were saying. Yeah, this is a, a hugely repeated theme. Um, kind of going along the same lines of you know the rebellion, especially using kind of older equipment. Uh, to to get around uh, what the empire is doing, not using up-to-date tech kind of doing things uh, out of the pure necessity of it, whether it's using, you know, using cable cars as, as speeders and fighters uh, for Hoth speeders, right? Those aren't designed for combat, but they are used for combat and they work effectively. Um, you know, keeping with that motif of how do we use not only the planet and the resources, but also, what we have available to our advantage um, is something that is, you know, again, like I said, a little bit familiar, but it's that whole motif that shows, yeah, they, they typically get away with that kind of thing. They typically come out on top because the empire doesn't know how to respond to those things. They're not prepared for that because, you know, kind of the main theme here in Cassian is, they would never think of that. They would never think of that. And, you know, they're too, they're too fat and satisfied to imagine anybody messing with the way that things are done. And yeah. that's their downfall. It's, you know, some, it's a plan that, you know, I, I'm saying it with full confidence that it will work out pretty okay. Again, you know, part of me is like, yeah, I hope it does because that's kind of the whole point. And you hope that the empire kind of eats their words, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I, I I think that this plan is right in line um with the major kind of Star Wars feeling of how do we make how do we make the rebellion actually stand up to the Empire? How do we how does David actually beat the Goliath, right? Yeah. And it's something that's not only uh definitely present as you were talking about, like with the Empire versus the Rebellion, this idea of like you know, on indoor using the, the environment with, with the Ewoks and also using the locals and their knowledge of the land rather than the empire who probably uh, really underestimate the Ewoks and, and don't understand their environment fully, which causes them to lose. Not only have a story like that, but also look at like, you know, a new hope and use the force, Luke, like trust your instincts, trust your feelings, put away your targeting computer. Oh, that kind of stuff is like totally the organic versus the, the inorganic, uh, that as well as the clone wars and having, you know, these organic soldiers versus droids, all that kind of stuff, I, I think is ever present in Star Wars and uh, continues to be so here. So uh, I'm uh, very excited, but also uh, uh, quite nervous for our heroes because um, it's probably not going to go super great. So, uh, you know, sh uh, good luck, guys. Good luck is all I have to say. Well, good uh, luck to Nemec especially, man. I just, 
really, really good luck. Yeah, he's got a target on his back for sure. So um, that's super unfortunate. Um, we do get briefly um, some time with uh, uh, Cyril Karn, who goes back home during this time. I'm going to kind of put a pin in that because I think it's a little bit more relevant. So most of the stuff that I have to say um, will be in relation to episode five, which now if you are ready to dive on into episode five, the axe forgets. Wait, um, wait I'm ready. we're not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. Why? We didn't. We didn't give our thumbs. We didn't give oh, our man. thumbs to episode oh, four. You're right. Where are your thumbs at? Um, my thumbs are one thumb up, one thumb up, as in let's keep going. That's exactly that's what that means. Yeah, I am also in a firm one thumb up. Uh, uh not quite two full thumbs up. I, I yeah. still think. Um, uh, I, you've got part of my thumb, but we're waiting to see the full story until we can have uh, double thumbs. Uh, the thumb's still up. I still enjoyed uh, the ride, but um, not that I feel like it's incomplete. Um, I just kind of, I'm still waiting to get the entire experience right. uh, before yeah. I can firmly uh, give a verdict. Yeah, I think that that's the thing here. Like we had talked about at the beginning of this is you can't fully give the episode credit because yeah. it you you have that feeling of, okay, what is next? There's more, there's much more to this that is being set up. So it is yeah. hard to kind of, you know, adjust to that. But speaking of which, moving on to episode five, right? That's right. The axe forgets. So before we like really dive into kind of the, the, the plot of this episode, I do want to take time and talk about the title of this episode. Um, something that you and I uh, sometimes do, don't always do, especially with the last episode. It's kind of self-sufficient. It's it's you know relative to the to the plot and everything, but I think that this does have real thematic implications too. Uh, yes, it relates directly to a conversation that characters have, uh, but I really wanted to get kind of your big picture thoughts of the title of the Axe Forgets. Yeah. So, like you had said, we you know usually you know sometimes we'll do this when it's a little bit less uh, cut and dry, um, but. With this, I totally did not realize um, that there were titles um, because there's not like a title screen, um, which actually that reminds me. I keep meaning to say this. Um, I'm firmly in the camp uh, that this show does have the best title screen intro um, of any of the Star Wars shows so far. Um Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm here. Any for of them or are we talking about like Disney Plus live action era? Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's yeah. funny. Uh, I do want to talk about that because like the other shows like Mando and Boba Fett are just kind of like, bum, you know, and it's just like the logo. It's not necessarily like a title sequence. Obi-Wan Kenobi had like dusts, you know, kind of flowing. And then there was the title. Yeah, this has like a whole thing. And I'll tell you this. It gets me every single time to where I'm like, OK, yes. the show we're in space. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the it's the uh, it's the logo. OK, anyway, you know, <laughs> yeah, no, 100 um, percent. So I know last time we talked, I already, uh, you know, congratulated um, freaking what's his name? Bertel, Nicholas Bertel um, on, you know, being one of the one of the better composers um, to have graced Star Wars. So uh, anyways, uh, with the title screens, I, I didn't realize that there were titles, um, because when I jumped into episodes one through three, I just clicked on Andor from the homepage and like, I was like play, uh, and there's not a like title screen or anything. So I didn't realize that there were titles to these. Um, but this one, especially, uh, having it be the axe forgets, uh, in the conversation, uh, the axe forgets, but the tree remembers, um, talking about who's being cut down here and who's doing the chopping. 
This is an interesting one for me because throughout this episode, we don't really get much of the Empire, almost at all. Um, We get a little bit with Lieutenant Gorn, but, you know, nothing that would kind of incline us to believe that there is, you know, that these people that are about to get heisted necessarily have it coming. Um, It's one of those things that, you know, I'm just going to say it right now. Um, I think it's a tee up for episode six um, being called the tree remembers. Um, And that will be the revenge sort of portion of this heist. As we know, uh, some of the characters, uh, you know, have, as they say in this episode, everybody has their own rebellion. I think that the man, the lines in this episode, just writing for days. Um, so I think that this is a tee up, uh, for episode six to be the payoff of the empire is about to get absolutely gutted. Um, because I kind of hope so. Right. Um, kind of hope that they, that they get there, that they, you know, get a taste of their own medicine. Um, so I think that that's what this is, what this is teeing up is the, the plan and then the eventual payoff. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it's definitely building towards this reckoning that we saw kind of um, in the marketing of the show, uh, but also is, is a line from uh, Marva early in the series of like, that's what a reckoning sounds like. I think we're definitely going to, you know, kind of get a piece of this, which makes sense. You know, like the, this is the formation of the rebellion. So we're going to start seeing these 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 small acts of rebellion leading into kind of the initial first strike of the rebellion being rogue one you know like that's the first time that other than these like smaller skirmishes here and there something that we see a lot in star wars rebels that's the first time it was like a firm putting a foot down and being like that's enough you know and i think that Andor and what we're going to see a lot throughout this series is, is this and I think that this episode does such a great job that you had already mentioned of spending time with these characters and understanding what is the metaphorical chopping that was done to them. Uh, what, what what are the reasons that these people are involved in the rebellion and what has been done to them to get them to this point? Um, we really get to spend a lot of time with the characters of this of this little gang here and, and, and understanding well, why why are you here? You know, Cassian is here for money, but why are you here? Um, why is uh, Nimic here like we had already talked about and, and kind of their ideologies um, as well as a lot of the other characters like Skeen who we get to spend a lot of time with uh, in this episode. So yeah, I think some of the episodes, uh, especially last week's are, it's self-explanatory. It's this thing that is going to cover, you know, cover their tracks and allow them to have a so-called safe escape, uh, a safe uh, retreat from this mission. But the Axe Forgets, I feel, is truly like a a metaphorical idea. And I don't want to talk about it too much because we we do have some actual lines that are related to this title. Uh, So I said, let's go ahead and dive on in. Um, This episode does... Uh, begin with Cyril back at home uh, with his mother. Uh, Cyril is eating cereal, uh, some Star <laughs> Wars cereal, which is, with some you know, blue milk with some blue milk. Nonetheless. Yeah, I'm a big cereal guy. So I loved seeing that Star Wars there is in universe cereal because uh, uh, I've had Star Wars cereal. I've had like Grogu cereal. So I love that. It's not even- very good. It's not great. It's like weirdly sour and I'm not a fan. Uh, But I love that Cyril has um, some Star Wars cereal. Uh, I thought that that was great. But also like what a juvenile like, you know, uh, and it's also it, it, it really does 
uh, play well with what we see with like Mon Mothma and they're having like sort of this nice more regal sort of breakfast uh, but he's back at home and he's with his mom and she's nagging him uh, saying how he's a disappointment and that he has no prospects for the future um, we get to spend a lot of time with Cyril in regards to like you know we see him in his bedroom I believe that he has toys in his room yeah he uh, does one of which I thought was like uh, uh, like a hot toy? Like, it looks like a hot toy. I don't know if I'm imagining things, but I was like, does this dude have a Stormtrooper hot toy? You know, is it like yeah, that? No. But is that, uh, I, I, am I crazy? What am I, you know? I saw it and I was like, that's definitely something that I'm going to have to go back and look into because there's there's something there. But the I think the point comes across. I think, again, we're going on this kind of... I I don't fully want to say that I know what his character is yet. Um, but we've talked a lot about his, uh, I guess his motivations. Um, and now the picture is even a little bit more clear who let's just be frank about it and say a white kid with a bitch mom who doesn't believe in him, uh, wants to become law enforcement, uh, isn't good enough for the empire. Uh, so, you know, is a tryhard at this, you know, security company and, you know, feels like he has an aggravated sense of power. I think that that's a recipe for real world uh, allegory, right? Totally. Yeah, for sure. And that's just, it's just so smart to me. It's so smart that like in this character, we're watching Cyril on screen and I'm like, yeah, I love this guy. I love this guy. I want to like, I want to know more. I want to know everything about this guy. I want to see him like at his lowest. I want to see like what he's capable of. I want him to be this kind of, you know, what is, what is the, the full force of this character according to the writers of this show? What do they have planned for him? Because yeah, it's, it just feels so much like with a character like this. Yes. You can draw these real world kind of assumptions, but even still, it does feel like they have full control of this character, uh, you know, and, and are presenting him in a way that is just so interesting to me. I don't know. I'm just enamored, yeah. enamored. Yeah, you really love to to hate him. And he's set up in this position to where his mother, who's portrayed by the same actress who is in The Tragedy of Macbeth, uh, she plays the witches, like the three witches. I don't know if you've what? had a chance to see that. Yeah, I did um, not know that. I did have not you seen Tragedy of Macbeth? Yes, yes, I yeah, have. She's, you know what I'm talking about? Like the, yeah. the, witch, the witches she's, three. Who like... She's also in Harry Potter. Is she really? Who yeah, is she in she Harry is. Potter? Um, she's uh, probably an old lady. Um, <laughs> she's yeah, she's, she's Harry she, Potter. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's the old lady that like that witnesses um, him using magic. I think I'm pretty Catherine sure. Catherine Hunter is the actress's name, uh, and she is in Harry Potter in the Order of Phoenix. Let's see who she plays. I'm curious. I I'm almost a hundred percent sure that she's the lady that witnesses um, him using magic on the Dementors. Uh, but I've only seen Harry Potter all the way through once. Um, so I could be wrong, but let's see. Let's see. I don't know. She is. Yeah. She's the one that's like, let's um, go. Let's go. Yeah. She's got the raincoat on and she's like in the, uh, the, the order of the Phoenix where she's like sitting in the, the chair and they're kind of, uh, interrogating her. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Good job, Noah. Hey man, I've been getting like perfect scores on framed lately. So I'm just, I'm absolutely on it with movies lately. Got a real cinephile here, guys. Got a real cinephile here. Mm. Watch out. Don't even mess with me. 
Uh, yeah, I thought she was really terrific um, uh, as Catherine Hunter. Uh, or as, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Eddie Karn or Edie Karn. Catherine Hunter is the actress's name. Edie, I think is her name, uh, is, is, is how you pronounce it. But yeah, she is, is she's been described as well as in the, in, in, uh, the lead up to this as kind of like a stage mom, uh, for, for Cyril. I think that she too is kind of like a social climber and that she's wanting Cyril to, to amount to something so she can maybe have this, you know, more of a foothold like socially, you know, uh, in this higher status and that she's using her son as like a, a way to do that that um i thought that that was great and i get what you're saying as far as like you love to hate this character because like you get to really spend time with him and it's just continuing to like pummel him down further and for further to i think he's going to get to a point to where he is going to meet up with uh miro dj miro and they're going to have this kind of uh meeting of of, of uh faces here because i think that Karn was in a similar position that Miro is in as far as I've noticed this thing or I have a hunch or a lead on this thing and the ISB or the Empire is not allowing me to pursue this, you know, and I feel that I have a duty in regards to a duty to my men, a duty as uh, as an Imperial uh, ISB officer or this. I want to, you know, kind of move up in the ranks or whatever the case may be. They, they have a need to to maybe prove something. Uh, and I think that that is going to have them meet together and eventually uh, uh, be uh, seeking out Cassie and Andor, which we see um, Cyril like looking pretty. Uh, um, you know, uh, intently at a, a hologram, sort of like uh, a character drawing, like a, you know what I mean? Like a, like a real world kind of sketch artist kind of style. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That's, that's like the back when they were like, Oh, it's an older photo, but I assure you he's dangerous, you know? And he's exactly, like, yeah. this guy, he ruined my life. He exactly. took me away from my, from my one job that I loved so very much. Uh, yep. being kind of racist uh, <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I'm very excited to spend more time um, with Cyril. Uh, and yeah, his mom sucks, apparently. Just no good, no good at all. Um, one of the men uh, from this little uh, robbery gang here, his name is Skeen, uh, apparently uh, he reveals to to Cassian, uh, they kind of have this this uh, opportunity to get to get to know each other. Uh, and apparently Skeen is there for revenge and really talks about his his you know past and he's also trying to kind of probe into to Cassian's past trying to understand why exactly it is that they're there they both kind of share this this um uh, kind of have this bonding moment where they've both spent time um, in prison, so they kind of understand that together. Um, but Skeen uh, really is kind of the the main force that we see as far as uh, manifesting this distrust of Cassian uh, and not really, uh, uh, you know, being quite as okay with him being in the group as opposed to somebody like Nimic who believes that Cassian is going to be there for the right reasons. Uh, so uh, Skeen will definitely uh, play uh, in into uh, later in this episode, which I'm excited to talk about. But um, uh, he goes on to explain, like everybody else in the group, kind of what their role is, including um, Senta, who is described as kind of like the toughest one um, in the group. Uh, and uh, while we get the this time, we also spend some more time um, with Lieutenant Gorn, who is back at the the garrison. Um, we get to spend some time with uh, some other Imperials uh, who are kind of surveying this land that uh, they have have said that they're going to eventually 
eventually like turn into a uh, a landing platform and they're going to kind of devastate this entire area so we really do get like a nice uh a meeting of these two parties and kind of how they distrust one another how they view this area kind of why they're there why they're fighting uh now that we spent a little bit more time with this group um do you have any standouts or any big thoughts or any big takeaways from any of the members in this group uh, Skeen to me is an interesting one because y- you obviously get the sense that he's going to cause trouble, right? You get the sense that he's trouble for Cassian. Um, but you know, his priority is the mission. His priority is the rebellion, right? Um, however, you know, him saying, well, I'm mostly here for revenge, that doesn't like to me that doesn't translate as camaraderie and there's a lot of talk uh before about you know when it at least with uh Val and Luthen um about kind of the the integrity of the team itself and that they're on the breaking point um already you know and adding Cassian to the team is just going to make things worse and Luthen makes a comment about how it must not be, you know, a strong team then, uh, if that's the one thing that's going to break this. And to me, Skeen is being set up as probably the breaking point. Um, there are a couple comments made about uh, the weakest link, right? The yeah. you know, uh, and Skeen is the one that makes those comments uh, about kind of like, no, you know, it's you know, they're all they've all got their part and everything, and. You know, we're here for we're here to do this thing. But I do think that Skeen is going to come out to be not that he's going to betray anybody or that he's going to turn or that he's going to, you know, crumble under the pressure um, or lose his nerve. But, you know, I do think that there's potential there for him to become a problem uh, and possibly endanger the mission. That's my personal uh, prediction. Interesting. I think that Skeen is going to be somebody that is like forced to kind of work with Cassian and they're going to have to trust each other in a moment that it might be like difficult for them to do that Um, because we late we learn later on that um, this group and, and this transport that they're going to be taking for this mission they don't really have like a firm understanding of like how to pilot the thing uh, and Cassian is like well I did it once so let me do it, you know, and I think it's ambiguous enough to where does Cassian actually know how to do this thing or is it like, well, if if we're just going to be taking chances and we're just going to be winging it, you know, day of, if anybody's going to be doing it, it's going to be me, you know, like I'm going to be in charge of kind of my own destiny here. I think that remains to be seen with Cassian. I could totally see it going both ways, um, but I think that Skeen is going to be kind of put in an opportunity to where he kind of has to trust Cassian. And we ha- we have a conversation um, more later on to where he, everyone in the group kind of reveals the truth about Cassian. Uh, and, and we'll definitely get to that. But I don't know. I could see, um, especially Nimic, um, uh, obviously, is, is, uh, we, as we mentioned, it's not it's not looking great for him, man. Sorry, um, Sorry. Uh, he, He's going to be the Rio to, to the Han Solo. No, to where, <laughs> you had to bring up I had Rio. to bring it up, man, to where, oh, you, no. where you learn the tough lesson, the valuable lesson of, you know, what is what as possible in this in this difficult life so um uh and also like you know that's somebody that was willing to give it all and where you were just looking for a paycheck so you know kind of the survivor's guilt mentality um i could see skiing maybe being uh you know uh for lack of better words a catalyst for something like that so maybe he drills that home a little bit um for cassian but um 
yeah, I don't see him as like a loose unit. I don't. I, I personally don't see it, but uh, it could go either way, I suppose. Um, I, yeah, I, I think for me, it's it's more more so that he may do something reckless um, out of his own self interest. Or yeah. yes, yeah, yeah, I could see and that. that yeah. You know, kind of endangers things. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, because he doesn't trust Cassie, and he does something that you know, if he would have gone along with it, maybe would have gone better. I could see exactly. That. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see, but that's, I think that that's the vibe that I mostly get from him. And there's obviously some, I guess there's some development there, like we'll talk about, but even still, um, he's being set up as this character that I just can't, I can't imagine him being like, all right, I'm better now. Let's do this. And he's like, yes, we did it. And I, and it was all thanks to me and my ability to just play along. Yeah. They, they dance on indoor and they're hitting the drums on the stormtroopers. Clapping away, just (laughs) clapping. Yeah. Yeah, love it. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't necessarily see that happening. But I think that we we spend a little bit too much time with Skeen in this episode for him just to kind of, you know, he shows up and gets killed in the mission. I think that he is definitely going to be an integral part. And there is so much attention to detail in regards to their their relationship and and the distrust or the you know the the kind of uh, eyeing each other down of like you know sizing each other up of like what, why are you here you know like what are you what are you uh, are you trustful is this is are you going to sabotage this mission all of that kind of stuff uh they're even questioning Andor as far as he could be like an imperial informant they don't know you know so i think that there's a lot of distrust here and a lot of themes of the the value of trusting those around you which i think is a great contrast to what we see um with the empire um something that i really loved about this this sequence is kind of like while they're training there's a moment where a tie fighter roars like nearby and they're kind of like okay it's gone it's fine which is something that we've seen in this series before but then the tie fighter like kind of comes around and sort of like buzzes over the top of them uh just seemingly for the hell of it you know it seems like this tie fighter pilot was just like i'm gonna scare these you know sheep farmers or whatever um what were your thoughts on this scene and that the tie fighters kind of seen as like this you know uh, imposing threat this kind of like monster yeah, that's that's kind of the feeling that it gives off is like you you see TIE fighters in other, you know, in other scenes and other moments uh, elsewhere across the Star Wars media. And mm-hmm. they kind of have this like annoying bird or like a mosquito quality where it's like, yeah, oh, these things are everywhere. And, uh, you know, you just got to pick them off because they're they're just getting in the way of things. But this is one of those, you know, kind of the same feeling of like. Uh, Kylo's tie whisper bearing down on Rey in uh, The Rise of Skywalker, where mm-hmm. that thing is a full, like, that's a full spaceship, right? And right. it is, like, headed straight for you. Um, again, super fast, unpredictable. It's kind of the whole idea um, of, of these TIE fighters is that they just are screaming around, and it's a huge, huge threat when you're you know, not in a comparably sized ship. Um, yeah. Yeah. As you know, as opposed to how we normally see them. So really interesting that it, it is sort of that, I don't know, I'm, I could be reaching, but I get a lot of like, I'm getting a lot of indigenous people slash kind of like maybe some middle East, like American occupation of middle Eastern area like feeling from this 
uh, again, we're juggling a lot of themes here. Um, not yeah. to say that any of them, like not to say that any of the plates are fallen to the ground. Um, but we are juggling a lot here and I see these things and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the feeling that I get here is imagine, you know, a family in Sudan and a stealth bomber just absolutely buzzes overhead. What's yeah. the feeling there, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm totally here for that as far as like, you know, old World War II sort of energy as well as like, you know, you hear that like whisper or the kind of the whistling more of like those bombs being dropped and just like wondering, yeah. is this the one that's going to land on my house? You know, like that kind of idea. And yeah, I think that there's totally like an imperialist you know, occupation, you know, literally it's an imperial occupation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like drawing those connections to the real world, I don't think it's far-fetched at all. Yeah. I, I do hope that, you know, those things don't, don't kind of get uh, tossed by the wayside um, by other viewers, because I think they're very poignant, even though it's just those, you know, those tiny little moments of like, yeah, of course these people are afraid because they might get found out, they might get questioned, but yeah. you know, think about it a little bit deeper than that. You might come up with something interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that not only is a lot of, um, potential tension throughout the show of this idea of sneaking around, trying not to get found out. Maybe that's something that I felt has been missing from these past two episodes is there's not a lot of espionage going around. Things have been pretty quiet as far as all, as far as all of that is concerned. People are mostly sticking to themselves. Maybe that'll change, but I love that this is treated like, you know, TIE fighters are one of the most iconic things in Star Wars. Like they're a piece of the original iconography of Star Wars. And I love that they're just seen in a different light to where it's like, okay, Here's one of them, you know, like it's the same kind of thing with the Mandalorian as far as like the walkers of like, here's this thing that you had an action figure of as a kid. And then here is it when everybody else has nothing here, how here's how scary it is, uh, especially the sound of everything that you hear it off in a distance and you have to hide all the guns and everything and it buzzes by. Yeah, I, I think not only is are there those real world um, sort of applications here, um, but I just love that it's sh taking this iconic piece of Star Wars um, iconography and, and recontextualizing it and utilizing it in a way that uh, is yes, familiar, but new, which I think is ultimately like what Andor really is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that's a, a growing theme here of the familiarity kind of recontextualizing, or at least kind of shifting the angle of this thing, looking at it from yeah. a different perspective. It's, it really does a lot for it, honestly. Yeah. Um, and like I had mentioned, like we, we follow this TIE fighter back to the Imperial garrison. We get to spend some more time with Gorn as well as the other Imperials. And we learn that there are some members of the Imperial um, uh, uh, army who are, who are uh, you know, stationed on this on this garrison who are kind of like looking forward to this natural event. Like it's something that they want to see and they talk to Gorn about maybe having an opportunity to see it. And I just, I, I thought this was really fascinating that like we see these Imperials who have this appreciation for the natural surroundings around them and this, this completely natural environmental sort of phenomenon that's happening. Yet at the same time, they are talking about, Oh yeah, you see all of this gorgeous land. Yeah. It's probably going to be an airfield, you know, like they're just completely tearing everything down. Uh, and uh, I just thought that this was like a really fascinating, like choice, like a, a fascinating detail to add to these Imperials in this episode. Right. You have to imagine that some of these lower level um, soldiers uh, are, you know, they're, they're maybe not as steeped in the 
bureaucracy of the empire so much so that they, you know, don't give a shit about blowing up a planet or blowing up a city or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. that they can kind of have an appreciation for that because they're just soldiers and they get stationed where they get stationed. Um, so it is, it is really interesting. You even kind of get a sense of that when, uh, when Gorn, uh, goes up to like the, like land, the, the viewing bay of the, uh, of the garrison. And there's a, there's a dude just like leaning over the, leaning over the railing, like looking at this huge valley, yeah. uh, you know, kind of just like somebody staring out at the top of the empire state building. And he's like, Oh, enjoying the view. And he's like, Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's interesting. Cause there's a good mix of kind of the feeling there. And it's funny because that guy says something super racist <laughs> um, after being like, it's actually a pretty nice view. Uh, can you imagine it with all of these indigenous people here? Boy, that would suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. interesting because you obviously still get some of that, but there's a little bit more complexity there, which I really like. For sure. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of fascinating things that the series has to say about the Imperials. And I, I think it's small details like this, that maybe in a, 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 dare I say, faster paced series, I don't know if we'd necessarily would have the time. And I mean, this entire, like these two episodes, like think about like a Mandalorian episode, you know, not to say that that's, it's, it's better or worse. It's just different that mm -hmm. like yeah. this heist is a episode of the Mandalorian and the planning of said heist is a, probably a 15 minute sequence. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's how that's like, like a clear example of like, look at, you know, uh, season two of the Mandalorian where they're going to, you know, that Imperial facility with, <laughs> with, uh, with, Bill uh, Burr. <laughs> with Bill Burr himself, you know, like the, that the planning of that is like a, a quick little montage. But in this, we're spending two episodes on this again, not to say it's better or worse. It's just, it's just different. But, um, I, I, in this sequence, we get to spend more time with Gorn. And we also hear about what his own kind of reason for rebellion is. Uh, they talk about that with, um, I believe it's Nimic who, who says that everyone has their own rebellion. And he says that they'll soon see a surprise from above is never as shocking as one from below. And I think that these two, these two lines seem like they're probably going to be like the bumper sticker of this whole show, especially everyone has their own rebellion. That has been very clear, especially in this episode is that you look around you and you've got, um, Nimick who is in it and he's writing a manifesto and he is, uh, you know, talking about the, how quick, um, all of these, uh, you know, incidents of, uh, you know, he says it's, it's easier to hide behind 40 atrocities in one single incident. And, and I think that that's not only applicable to the real world, but that talks about his own kind of ideology of how he views the empire. And then you have somebody like, you know, Perrin, uh, who is just like completely apathetic to everything. Doesn't want to like really engage. He's just, I'm fine socially. My family is safe. I don't really care. And then you have somebody who is like skiing who is in it for revenge and obviously somebody like Cassian who's in it for the money. And I, I, I think it's an interesting dynamic to show all of these different characters and that they are rebelling for a reason, but it might not be for the same reason. Uh, and that all of these people that who are in the rebellion have different entry points into that. I just think it's a really interesting idea that the series is explored and isn't necessarily like, you know, super widespread throughout a lot of star Wars. Right. And we're obviously, we're going to get, 
even more of this. Uh, once uh, he sh- who shall not be named uh, is introduced, I have to say we are ha- almost halfway through the show and he has not made an appearance yet. And I am crossing my fingers and, and praying to my lucky stars that he comes in after episode six, uh, because that would just be dandy with me. But um, his character Obviously, I'm talking about Saw Gerrera. Uh, I felt like I should just say that because if anybody's listening for the first time and they're like, who's this guy talking about? Why is he? What? Like, what? Yeah, to catch you guys up, Noah's <clears throat> got beef. Noah's got beef. Anyways, <laughs> so once Saw Gerrera gets here, um, if he ever fucking shows up, uh, then, you know, <laughs> now you kind you're of mad get that a... he's late. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Episode five. Where is this guy? You know, it's like hey, he's man, at a party. I, yeah, I got. Yeah, I got to be upset about something. Um, oh, that's great. Once he gets here, you know, that idea is going to be furthered and maybe we'll even see how Cassian's, you know, maybe changed ideology fits into that of how is, you know, how does Cassian rebel and, you know, and why does he do it? And is it going to continue to be for money or is there going to be something that, you know, maybe gives him a change of heart? I don't know. Maybe the death of a certain character named Nemec, who knows? Um, but, uh, you get that everywhere. Like you said, you kind of have all these different little pockets of, of ideology and of, uh, the motivation there at least. So it, it really, you know, it comes to, to a point where you have all these characters on a similar path, or at least with a common goal in mind and do these motivations, you know, have an effect on the end result, right. Is kind of the, that's, I think the, the fun tension about this is that, if you're in it for this, are you going to succeed? If you're in it for this other thing, are you going to succeed? Are you going to get what you want? Um, So seeing it, you know, that way and looking at maybe how Cassian's story is going to play out or how someone like Skeev is going to uh, play out, uh, you know, his name's not Skeev. Skeen with an N. Not Skeev. Yeah. How Skeen's story is going to play out. Um, you know, looking at those different things and seeing, okay, do both characters get what they want because they, you know, are rebelling or is there a better way, a right way, a wrong way? So I don't know. It's just really, really fascinating to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to see how this is It like, I feel like it's almost a little too early to cast judgment on like what this series is, is saying about that. Because if you look at something like a new hope, um, you know, Luke joins because he's like, I got nothing else. You know what I mean? Like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I might as well go like everybody I know is dead, you know? And then, uh, Han is obviously initially there for the money. Leia's in it for the long run, uh, and then Obi-Wan Kenobi as well. So I, I think that that's really interesting. And also makes me think of the sequel trilogy is that, um, you know, uh, why, why Finn is there, you know, something that we, we really explore, um, in the last Jedi. Um, so yeah, really fascinating stuff. I, I can't wait to really explore that. So, um, while we're learning all this, while we're planning this mission, uh, Skeen continues to be distrustful of Cassian, uh, and he takes this necklace from him uh, and then shows the group this kyber crystal, which is apparently uh, valued at 30,000 credits. So to give you give you a little <laughs> bit of context, Noah, uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, uh, significantly less than half, like a, like yes. a you know, uh, a fifth of what he was going to get for the entire mission. Uh, but it does not belong to Cassian. It belongs to uh, it belongs to uh, Luthen as of course he gave him in the last episode uh, but he demands to know who Cassian is uh, and why he's actually here with this mission where Cassian admits finally kind of lets these walls down and just is honest with 
I'm here because of the money. You know, I'm here to to get my credits, and then I'm I'm hit I'm hitting the hills. I'm hitting the road, and it's um it's this real opportunity to where even some of the other members of the group are able to share why they're getting involved in everything in a moment that I think Cassian would maybe initially think makes the everything crumble and everything fall apart. I think is actually kind of like a galvanizing moment for this entire group. Yeah, that's it's something that's kind of weird. I don't know. It's. I I was struggling because I was like, okay, why does this, why does this specific crystal, not that it's this, the crystal itself, but why does the value of this thing mean that he is more distrustful, right? I was really wrestling with this as like, uh, what has that got to do with anything? I well, think what's it's love got to do with it, you know? Uh, exactly. <laughs> what, what, what I'm thinking, uh, I can't, uh, I can't yeah. say that I didn't also think of that as I was saying it. <laughs> but what, what I was kind of thinking is, it's like, okay, if you and I are robbing a Seven Eleven, and you know, we we end up making out, not making out, yeah, not, not you and I, uh, we end up getting away with this this job, and we get. Three hundred dollars out of the out of the register, right? But I've got a Rolex on that's worth twelve thousand. You know, it's kind of like, wait, why are you here? Like, why don't you just sell that thing? If you're so strapped for cash that you're willing to do this incredibly dangerous job, like incredibly dangerous job to get these credits, uh, like, why are you here? There has right. to be another reason why you have that thing dangling around your neck and you're also here. You'd think that you would sell that first. That's just kind of my rationale. Yeah. Garrett just wanted to uh, hold up the uh, the cashier. He just wanted an excuse to shoot a guy I want in the slurpees. Give me a slushie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was like, hey, man, I'm robbing a 7-Eleven. I know they just got a huge deposit from this from this armored vehicle. And you're like, yeah. Oh my god! I could totally. I was just go testing the slushy. water. I was like, "Is is Noah into this thing?" Like, I don't know. Are we gonna are we, right, let's let's see if he's interested. To, you know, come visit for Star Wars Celebration in a couple of years, and you and I are gonna <laughs> we're hitting a Seven Eleven hypothetically, and then yes, we're definitely yes. not gonna make out. That's no. for sure not gonna happen. No, not not after the crime scene or anything. No. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, no, I I that was sort of the conclusion that I came to as well. Is I mean, it makes sense. It's just, I mean. It's one of those things that I don't feel like warrants the reaction that that Skeen gives off of like, what's your deal? Are you going to ruin this entire thing? It's more just like, you know, my my thinking is like, this is a really valuable thing and it's on a necklace. Maybe it's just a really valuable necklace that he prizes, you know, that he holds near and dear to his heart. Um, but I guess there had to be something to kind of, uh, yeah. initiate well, they're, they're already suspicious of him. He joins super late. They don't know anything about him. Like they think that he might be an informant, you know, like there's lots of, of questions being there. So I think this is just kind of like the last straw where they're like, okay, what's going on, man? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that that's fair. Yeah. And we definitely get to uh, spend a lot more time with this group. As I said, we get to learn kind of like why they're a part of their mission, um, what this rebellion, so to speak, means to them. And we get to, you know, uh, uh, deal a lot with these themes of of distrust and trust and, and, and you know, what does rebellion mean for everybody and what is kind of the stake that you have with it. And I think that that's a journey that we're going to see Cassian you know, go on a lot throughout the show is this, you know, eventually earning the trust of those around him and then him in turn learning to trust others. Yeah, that's that's something that we didn't really touch on. Um, but uh, with Luthen especially, I am really intrigued at his 
kind of his position and everything and like, you know, who he trusts, who he doesn't trust and how much he may trust a, a person. Um, because we kind of get hints that he is like really not that he, he's not going to be that, you know, that hurt if Andor dies. Um, he's like, yeah, you know, like he, he, maybe he makes it out. Maybe he doesn't. Um, I mean, he tells Cassian that he's like, you're going to make it back. I'm counting on you to make it back. Um, and I want to see you succeed. And then when he's talking to, to Val, he's like, yeah, uh, if you got to shoot him, you got to shoot him. I totally get it. Um, so it's one of those questions of like, okay, how far does trust go, uh, in this small circle? And clearly we get an idea that he's like, well, I wasn't super careful with recruiting Cassian Andor and this might come back to bite me. And do I trust him enough to, you know, for my own safety? It's such a weird kind of, you know, you have that, but at the same time, he's fully like, I need you for this mission. If you're not on it, then I'm calling the whole thing off because I need you. It's just a weird, like, I just want to understand it fully. And I know that we'll be able to piece it together uh, as, as it progresses. Um, but we don't have the full picture yet. And it's driving me nuts. It's absolutely driving me nuts. I think it's definitely like a tension, you know, that uh, when you have such high stakes, like you really have to be entrusting of everybody that you're surrounding yourself with. And like the same thing with Cassian is that, does he know how to fly this transport? Maybe, maybe not, you know, but it's also this thing of like, well, if we're all rolling the dice, I want to be the guy that's rolling them. You know, like if, if this is going to be our getaway and you guys are going to be winging it, I want to be the guy who's in control of all this. Cause I'm on the line here. Um, and so I think with Luthen, I think he does care about Cassian. Like he doesn't want Cassian to die, but you know, like anything, he also has to be concerned with his own self-preservation. And I feel like he is in it more for the the rebellion side of things. And so he doesn't want to burn this whole thing down because of this guy that he just met a couple of days ago. So I, I think it's definitely this, this fascinating tension that is going to uh, have to be explored uh, for these characters as well as they're going to have to understand the, the sort of trust that they put in the hands of others. And I think that this mission is going to, you know, if not cement things, like really kick things off for a lot of these characters as far as like how they trust one another. Um, and, you know, like you had mentioned with your hypothesis for for Skeen is like maybe his distrust is going to be the thing that ruins this entire mission. So uh, I think that next week we'll definitely get some better answers on that for sure. Yeah, we will. We will certainly see uh, how the uh, how the heist ends up playing out, which I'm so excited for, very excited for. Yes, very much so. Um, we do get to spend more time um, with Luthen, like we said, battling with his own um, issues of trust. Um, I don't know if you caught, but in the background on one of his shelves, you get some nice, like the Temple of Doom, uh, Temple of <laughs> the Temple of Doom, uh, like stones, like the from uh, the the second Indiana Jones film. Uh, so that was really cool to see yeah. that the, the continuing relationship between Indiana Jones and uh, Star Wars. Uh, and then we catch back up and kind of uh, end our conversation here with spending more time with Mon Mothma at this sort of breakfast first conversation in the morning um, with not just her husband, but also uh, with her daughter who that we are introduced to uh, who apparently, yeah, also sucks. Like, yeah, yeah just, just the worst. Terrible oh family all around. Yeah. I was uh, watching this. I was like, oh my goodness. No wonder. No wonder she's like getting out of there. Th- yeah. Like this kid is like, 
you're off the hook, mom. You don't have to spend time with me because you suck and you hate me, right? And she's like, I don't hate you. Why are you, why are you being so mean? And she is like, just shut up, mom. It's, it's so horrible. Yeah, I'm curious to see like if we're going to get more of this as far as like this idea of with everybody, whether it's Obi-Wan Kenobi and it's, you know, in that show with that, the, the, I forget the pilot's name, but the guy who sacrifices and that says like, you're, you're rebels now, whatever that guy's name was, uh, shout out him. But this idea of like, <laughs> well, what are you sacrificing for the rebellion? Is it your life? Is it your time with Mon Mothma? You know, is it her relationships with others? I'm curious if we're going to actually see that concretely of her sacrificing time with family, uh, to, to maybe dedicate herself more to the rebellion but if it's this is the reason that she's maybe away from home for a little bit i understand it yeah because her uh her her daughter and her husband the absolute worth i'd be wanting to take as much uh as much time away from home as i possibly could that's yeah that's her real reason for rebellion is she's like i just got to get out of the house (laughs) exactly yeah 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 uh we definitely spend uh some time with mon mothma in this episode but i'd be curious and uh eager to spend some more time with her and also the relationship uh with her and uh perrin that guy what a what a what a d bag i don't want to spend more time with him but i just want to know what happens you know exactly yeah yeah and no doubt next week we're probably going to be getting this big heist that everyone has been waiting for we're going to see how um all of that carries out and if uh you and i hypothesis are right i think we're going to get kind of that big climax and then maybe kind of go uh back down for uh for episode four or, or no not for episode four for episode seven uh, that will be so i'm very excited to return for next week do you have any other final thoughts on uh, episodes four or five of andor um i i'm just i'm i'm really pumped at where things are at right now um and i mentioned it before but yes i you know the more that i talk to other people about this and the more that i'm like hey have you gotten a chance to watch andor yet and blah 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 um, my dad is obviously, I've talked about this before, but my dad is a huge Star Wars fan and likes to keep up with things. And, uh, he just got back from an overseas trip. So I know that he has not, uh, had a chance to catch up on things. And so I may, I may give him a heads up and say, listen, if you want to save it, just watch it all, you know, at once. Otherwise you're going to get a little bit, you're going to get a little bit bummed out, uh, at the pacing of it. Cause I know that he's he with especially with the disney plus shows he's he's feeling a little bit uh dissatisfied it, he's going to get he's going to little get a little antsy is what you're saying exactly exactly yeah. so you know i would reiterate that if you're if you're you know listening to this and you're not fully on board with andor um maybe wait until it's over come back give it a watch you know all the way through see how you feel about all the pieces coming together because as far as i can tell and even leading into next week my prediction and your prediction as well of how this episodic structure is going to play out i feel like these pieces have the potential to just keep lining up um and it's something that i'm really looking forward to at least yeah, I think now I'm getting like settled into the pacing. I kind of know what to expect a little bit more. It's a different vibe. It's a different energy. And I think there's a little bit of not growing pains necessarily, but just acclimation that's happening to happen, uh, having to happen as far as like, okay, well, what is the tone of this series? Kind of what am I getting? And now that we're doing the week to week as opposed to all three episodes at once, I think I'm, I think I'm finally getting settled in. So I'm looking forward to see um, where the rest of the season uh, has for us. So uh, Noah, do you want 
want to close us out for the rest of the episode? Yeah, sure. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us. We hope you learned something today. If there's any topics or bits of news you think we should cover, you can head over to our Twitter and shoot us a message at ScumVillainPod. But for now, this has been Scum and Villainy with Noah DeGeorge and Garrett McDowell. And may the force be with you. We'll see you next time. See you guys. <laughs>